Welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. Now, our guest is the president and CEO of Indro Robotics. It's a BC company best known for its advancements in drone technology. The firm has embarked on a new journey very recently, one that is tapping into 5G in unique ways when it comes to unmanned aerial vehicles. Philip Reese of Indro Robotics, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me on, Tyler. So I want to know what is kind of unique about this recent announcement that uh, you guys uh, were able to share uh, with the world with regards to how your company is kind of tapping into the, uh, th- this advent of 5G that is just becoming far, far more uh, pervasive uh, as you know, the days and weeks pass by us. It is. It's moving very fast. It's exciting times in, in the communication world. Um, and drones obviously work a lot on communication. It's all about, you know, what signal can we get from the drone itself down to the ground? So we've been working for quite some time now on the 5G side, and we were able to recently, just just this week, put up um, a drone that flies completely over 5G. So that means we've got near zero latency on the data and imagery that are going up and down, but also very exciting means we can move the controller, the person who's gonna fly the drone, completely separate from the drone. Now the data is going from the drone over 5G up into the cloud, and then the pilot, who can be anywhere, as long as he can get online, can go up into the cloud and control the drone that way. It hasn't really been possible before until the advent of 5G and the speed and bandwidth that it's given us. Well, that's fascinating to me. I'm I'm just thinking about like 5G as this infrastructure is being built out. Is this kind of like one of those breakthrough moments in time in terms of what it can do for the UAV industry moving forward? It certainly is. So we've built a command and control center in Ottawa and one in Vancouver. And it basically means wherever we have 5G and it's it's growing very quickly, we can fly a drone without leaving those command centers. So if you imagine we're doing a, um, a search in downtown Victoria, we're flying the drone there. We could be flying that from Vancouver or or even where we could just hand over the control from the pilot there. He's sitting in his nice warm office. He's got a giant screen up there. He's got all the resources he needs and he doesn't have to be out in the field, um, you know, with the elements and the drone. So he's more relaxed. He's got the bigger screens. He can call up other resources. He can grab images from the screen and share them with other people. So we can even bring more people in. We could have one pilot flying the drone and another person controlling the camera, and then even a third running sort of some AI um, algorithms to pull data off the imagery, all without any of them in the field. So did you have to get like some sort of sign off from regulators like Transport uh, Canada or anything like that with with you guys kind of tapping technology in a new way, or are they kind of already on board with what you guys are doing? Uh, Well, we've been working very closely with Transport Canada as our regulator, um, and we've been working very closely with them, gosh, for seven years now. Um, They've been very supportive, and it's, it's always a struggle, I think, for regulations to keep up with technology when it's moving at the speed that it is now. Um, but they have got a specialized task force for RPAS task force, remotely piloted aircraft systems task force. And they um, communicate with us almost on a weekly basis. We bring these ideas up. They obviously make us build a good SORA, which is a risk analysis system that they use to make sure that we're not increasing the risk in any way and still being able to deliver in a safe way. Once we can prove that, they give us the green light and off we go. 
Well, I'm curious about the kind of the developments of the regulatory framework over the last few years, because, you know, uh, Canada's kind of thought a bit of a, a wild west to a certain degree, uh, kind of, you know, put those uh, UAVs up in the air and uh, there, there weren't really any rules. How are we coming along with regards to making sure that it, it's safe, it's regulated, and we are also making this kind of very commercially viable? It's not going to be overregulated, so to speak. Uh, well, I mean, drones exploded so fast onto the scene, none of the regulators really were ready for the, the size of growth. I don't think anybody was ready for the size of growth that came from drones. Transport Canada reacted fa fairly quickly. I know when we started on this, on this journey, there was only two people at Transport Canada who were responsible for the drone program. Um, and now they've got a team of over 30, I believe. So they have really ramped up. Um, they brought in new regulations just short of two years ago to sort of bring in everybody into the same um, level. They brought uh, basic flight uh, permissions that you need, advanced flight permissions, and then beyond that, a special flight operations certificate. So you, it's sort of a very graded approach for what you can do. Um, and far from being the Wild West, uh, which I think it, it was obviously for a while, um, they've now allowed you to step through that with a roadmap for if this is what you want to do, this is how you're going to get there. These are the rules and this will allow us to support you in that. And I know when you and I had a, a meeting, gosh, 18 months ago it was now, one of my big um, requests of the industry was we needed standardization because I'm you know, we're growing as a company, we're always out there bringing in investment. And as you bring in investment, obviously, these people want to know that their investments got a roadmap, it's got a future. And to get that you need regulations in place. So uh, Transport Canada responded really well to it. And I think on the world stage, we're up there, you know, in the top two or three um, countries for being permissive, but still safe. Well, Go, go backwards. Uh, there was 18 months when we first chatted. Uh, the, the story was that you guys were, uh, you know, linked up with uh, London Drugs and you guys were doing deliveries uh, with mm -hmm. drones, you know, like pharmacy uh, deliveries. Talk about some of the kind of commercial applications because, you know, people might hear about, you know, UAVs and I don't know, it's something that people might do uh, to, you know, uh, spend time on the weekends just uh, mucking about or something. But uh, what are the commercial applications that uh, we can apply here? So 18 months ago, when we were talking about the work that we're doing with London Drugs on prescription medications, that's continued down and we've continued to grow that business. Um, since then, we've been given a beyond visual line of sight permission, which basically means we can fly further. And we've been servicing a, a First Nations community, Penelicut Island, where we're servicing them with um, prescription uh, medications and COVID tests from uh, Vancouver Island over the Straits into Penelicut Island. Uh, we took a number of the First Nation community there and trained them in how to operate their drones and actually left the technology and the training behind so that they operate that now on a weekly basis themselves. And that's been rolled out through a number of communities now. So there's definitely commercial uses, not just for us or for the end users, such as the prescription providers like London Drugs, but also for communities who are starting to use it. So I'm wondering, I always like playing with hypotheticals. Maybe you can put your uh, your futurist cap on, but um, how do you envision kind of the future of this sort of stuff working? Like, would it be almost like highways of UAVs, you know, uh, going through airspace? Would it be more kind of how people might picture just things kind of like buzzing by our heads as they kind of drop off payloads? Or, or how do you imagine this coming about in the next five to 10 years? 
Well, five to 10 years in this industry is quite a long time. So there's, there's three real answers to you that I'm going to give you on that one. I think for the larger and heavier drones, we are going to end up operating within complex airspace, which basically means they'll be up there with aircraft and helicopters at a lower altitude, but still not a segregated airspace. So they won't be flying just on a flight corridor of their own. They'll get smart enough that they can um, operate and see other aircraft, avoid other aircraft, move out of the way. And that will really be a great advent for us delivering larger uh, items, larger services, and also a stepping stone to the urban air mobility that we're going to see, you know, the Jetsons cars that are coming along where, where we're all going to jump in these automated vehicles and fly from the office to downtown. It's coming and 10 years isn't that far away, but before we get there, it will be heavier lift drones that are doing those, those kind of jobs in that kind of airspace. But for the other and smaller and lighter drones, which I think we'll see a lot more of, these are sort of less than 25 kilograms. So still quite big, but much, much smaller than the, the heavy lift drones. We're going to start to see those move into an urban environment where they'll start to carry out tasks of delivery or monitoring. If you imagine Vancouver, for example, you've got um, the big harbor there. Um, port authorities could simply dispatch a couple of drones from their roof early in the day. They would map out the whole harbor. They'd count the boats that were in the harbor, report back to the engineer or the harbor master, and he probably would never have actually flown that drone. It would all just do it automatically. It would go every day. It would give him the numbers, and all he's interested in is the data. The drones become so, so automated, he doesn't need to think about it. Okay, so that's what I'm uh, interested in as well, because I'm of the belief that, you know, when driverless cars make their big through, like they'll break through in like a huge way. And I'm curious about kind of the future of pilots and uh, drones. Is there going to be kind of uh, like a, a mix between that and autonomous functioning drones? Or do you think it's eventually just going to all, you know, shift towards kind of these uh, so-called driverless uh, drones as well in the future? Mm -hmm. uh, well, the autonomous pyramid, basically with the, at the very top with the drone driving itself and at the very bottom a pilot driving, piloting the drone. I think we'll get to near the top where you have a command center, as we were talking about earlier, and you'll have a couple of pilots in there and they'll each be controlling 20, 25 drones. So it'll be more like an air traffic control. They could jump in and take over any drone at any time, but really they're watching for problems or um, reports coming in from the drone, and then they'll jump in and address those. Other than that, they're just directing the traffic, sort of exactly like air traffic controllers. Okay, and so what would kind of be the infrastructure build out for that? Would it be like um, companies all, you know, uh, tapping like one sort of service that can do that? Is it going to have to be this different sort of collaboration or is it almost just kind of too far in the future for us to figure out how exactly that might work? Well, it's too far in the future for us to be sure, but how we're seeing it would work. So we already work, again, going back to Vancouver. We work with the fire departments, the paramedics, a number of commercial outfits, and really they're all flying the same drone. They're not using it 24 hours a day. So you can imagine it would be a centralized drone from a centralized location, and each of those units would then call upon it. Okay, we've got a fire on the North Shore, dispatch a drone. That same drone later on the day may be checking traffic jams for the radio station or even doing a delivery for Canada Post or something like that. So you don't need multiple drones. It's more about the tasking of that drone and the best time for it to go about right now. At UBC, we've got a program, the Mini Cities um, project, which we're running with UBC, and that's all about that. If we've got three or four drones scattered around the university at their sort of drone ports, 
how will they be utilized? How could they be scheduled? How will they interact with each other? Maybe you'll get a, a request from a lab, pick up this item and take it to this other lab. And the drones themselves will decide which one's closest, which one has the right capacity, which one's batteries charged, and off it'll go. It'll fly there, pick it up, take it to the other location. You'll get a ping on your cell phone. You'll know that it's there and ready to pick up. So maybe I'll, I'll leave you off with this question, but um, what is needed for Canada to remain competitive like within this industry and be able to you know, compete against those, those other global companies uh, you know, down in the future? Is, is there policy that can happen? Is, does it have to do with talent acquisition, maybe access to investment dollars? So w what's your take on the best way to ensure that you know, we are competitive moving forward? all of those things. Um, but I think it starts with the regulation. The regulators have been great with keeping up with technology as best they can, and they need to not let off the accelerator. They need to keep pushing us forward so that we can be allowed small-scale um, programs to test and prove, and then when we have test and prove, open it out to a bigger, uh, bigger operations. And once we can do that, we'll be able to build careers for people. You know, we're getting a lot of mechatronics engineers joining us, a lot of robotics engineers. And we want to be able to bring more of those in, but we need the regulations to bring the funding in so that we can afford to employ all of those people, of course. Well, excellent. Like, Philip, I can't wait to talk to you more about this as just the uh, technology advances so quickly. It's a very cool thing. I'm of the belief that this is really going to have like a big impact uh, on uh, you know day-to-day -day life moving forward. Uh, but until next time, I just want to thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you very much. That's Philip Reese. He is president and CEO of Indro Robotics, and that is it for the show today. But we will be back on Monday. We'll be talking federal budget then. Till next time, you can go to BIV.com. More interviews, more stories over there. Thank you all for listening. I'm Tyler Orton.